0: and oh. so
1: Welcome to episode 179 of the Man of podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, I'll be covering episodes 21 and 22 of season two of the Kind produced Superboy television show, which ran from 1988 until 1992. This week, I'll be covering the episodes Knick-Knack and The Haunting of Andy McAllister. Not much to say at a time about these two particular episodes, as Knick-Knack is basically a showcase for Gilbert Gottfried a very young Gilbert Gottfried, I might add, who is really, uh, I guess, best known for his voice than anyone actually wanted to look at him. And we're going to finish off with The Haunting of Andy McAllister, which is a bit of a ghost story surrounding kind of a haunted house in Andy's family. So two very different episodes on tap tonight, or today, or whatever time you happen to be listening to this. But before we get to all that, feedback to address from Dave McElvenny, Dave is writing in on Man of Screen episode 168, I want to say. I didn't put it in my notes. But he is talking about the episode in which I discussed uh, the last two episodes of season one. Kind of interesting that he's writing a letter about the last two episodes of the first season while I'm, well, I'm two episodes away from ending season two. So, Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. I have to agree with your assessment of the relative merits of these two episodes. Succubus was not as good as Luthor Unleashed. Succubus used a magical supernatural threat to Superboy that, based on comics in some previous episodes of this series, probably should have been more difficult for him to handle. It did, though, give kind of a moral that we would expect from this kind of story. If you find a fountain of youth, don't drink too deeply, lest you become much younger than you want. Another case of the villain defeating herself. Luthor Unleashed was, as you said, probably the best Lex Luthor story of the season, and probably the most comic accurate story as well, although not quite as accurate as I'd have liked to have seen. You're right in pointing out the silliness of Lex losing his hair as his motivation for hating Superman, and this is a well-worn casual fanboy complaint. I like to think that Bob Fisher might back me up on this. It wasn't the hair loss that was Luthor's main complaint. Certainly the genius that he was in the comics could probably have cured his baldness on a rainy Saturday afternoon. In How Luthor Met Superboy, first seen in Adventure Comics 271, cover dated April 1960, Lex, who at that time was a friend and admirer of Superboy, was working in the lab which Superboy had built for him, and using chemicals, though, through weeks of feverish experimentation, created a protoplasmic form of life. In his gratitude to Superboy, he created the antidote to kryptonite, and in his excitement over that success, he accidentally started a fire, which destroyed his protoplasmic life form, along with the formula for that unprecedented creation. That was the source of his anger and hatred. The hair loss was just icing on the cake. In his litany of complaints to Superboy, his boldness is the last thing he mentions. When Superboy says it was an accident, Lex says, Don't lie, you were jealous of my genius, so you deliberately broke those bottles and destroyed my formula, which was the result of thousands of experiments. You knew I could never duplicate this formula again. Lex is, as most teenagers would be, upset about his hair loss, but his main anger is at the destruction of his great discovery and the loss of his notes to recreate it, which he returns to again and again in his tirade. He convinces himself that Superboy did this deliberately due to his jealousy of Lex, and his genius, which would make him more famous than Superboy. Obviously, there is some mental instability here, but Lex is not so shallow as to engage in a lifelong battle over baldness. Sorry for the rant, but I don't like to see Lex Luthor, the greatest criminal mind of our time, reduced to a whiny baby, crying, wah-wah, you made me bald. With that complaint out of the way, Luthor Unleashed does give us a good look at the beginnings of Lex's career as a lifelong archenemy of the Man of Steel. As for Lex and Leo hiding out in a monastery at the end, I thought that was a pretty good move on Lex's part. A monastery would probably be the last place on earth anyone would think to look for him, and he could probably use the quiet, contemplative time to plot his revenge. I'm looking forward to your coverage of season two. Live long and prosper, Dave. All right, Dave, I thank you for writing in. I don't think I have any more to say on Succubus than what I said in that episode and what you said here. Although, I don't recall if the succubus defeated herself. I thought Superboy had kind of... Well, I guess she did, because when she tried to take in Superboy's aid, she reduced herself too far. So, yeah, I guess you can say she uh, defeated herself. As far as Lex Luthor, I agree that it wasn't the hair loss that was Luthor's main complaint. At least in the comic story. He does make quite the big deal out of his hair loss here. Although, I think there was a little bit of his complaining over Superboy casually knocking over the chemicals onto him. It is probably as accurate as this show could get to that story. There's a lot going on in that story from Adventure Comics uh, 271 that wouldn't necessarily fit in to the format of the show. He, I mean, you would need Lex and Superboy to be friends, and you never really had that in this show, so there was a whole lot of history with Lex and Superboy before the accident. But without going back to watch uh, Luthor Unleashed, it just seems like his hair is a tipping point. I mean, he's his vanity certainly shows because he tries to, a litany of ways to hide his hair loss, including the hat, the wigs. But what I didn't realize was the uh, protoplasmic life form which he created. The story I knew that I read in one of those uh, books on tape things back in the 80s. It was kind of a story that kind of went over uh, basically from Krypton to Superboy to Superman. It was basically like all this, like the life and times of the Silver Age Superman from in the space of about 15, maybe 20 minutes, where in that story, which was very loosely adapted, is I remember Kryptonite falling to Earth near Superboy, Luthor destroying it, or like in a bulldozer, pushing it over the side of a cliff or something, and then like the lab catches fire when he's trying to cure Superboy. It's loosely based on that story, but no mention of the protoplasmic life form, which is interesting because the uh, protoplasmic life form was eventually was created in the pocket universe and became the post-crisis supergirl so i wonder if john byrne kind of pulled that idea of the protoplasmic life form out of the adventure comic story and uh, turned that into the post-crisis supergirl i never kind of put those two uh connections together but while here he was unsuccessful in it that luthor was successful and was still friends with superboy so just some interesting musing but this this version of the of the story was probably as close to the comics as you're ever going to get and there is a little bit of his being convinced that Superboy did it deliberately to him, but you know how I feel about this particular Lex Luthor anyway. And, uh, yeah, Luthor Unleashed was the first time Luthor really seemed like a criminal as opposed to just kind of a cheat. And, yeah, I never thought of uh, Lex and Leo hiding out at the monastery to be uh, a place to contemplate, but, yeah, nobody would think to look for them there. And, obviously, they're out of the monastery by the time we see them again in uh, with this ring IV kill. So, thank you, Dave, for writing in. If you'd like to write in and join the conversation, manscreen at gmail.com. So now I'm going to take a quick podcast promo break, and when I come back, knickknack, Hang around, folks. R. What's that stand
2: for?
0: Robin.
1: Hello, everyone. This
0: is Rob Myers, and I'd like to invite you to check out my podcast called Robin. Everyone loves the Drake.
3: Rob, are you going to take out the trash?
0: I'm right in the middle of uh, recording an ad for my my podcast. I'll I'll do it in just a little bit, okay?
3: Sorry to interrupt. Boy wonder time.
0: Boy wonder? I'm all man, lady. Uh, Rob? Uh, okay, where was I? That's right. My podcast, Robin, Everyone Loves a Drake. It'll be hosted over at thebatmanuniverse.net. I'll be covering Tim Drake's origin story from the very beginning, starting with Tim's first appearance in Batman 436, also known as Batman Year 3, and hopefully going all the way through the Robin ongoing series, starting with Issue 1 and going all the way to Issue 183. 183 issues? Wow. Well, it's a good thing, because... Everyone loves the Drake. You don't like the Drake. I hate the Drake.
3: I love the Drake.
0: How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake?
3: Who's the Drake? The Drake
0: is good.
1: All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to start things off with Nick Original broadcast date was April 14th, 1990. Directed by David Nutter, who is still out there directing. I was, I've been watching uh, the new Netflix's uh, Lost in Space, and uh, David Nutter directed an episode of that. And... Uh, this episode was written by Mark Jones. Guest cast includes Gilbert Gottfried as nick More on him later. Donna Lee Betts as Daisy. More on her later. David Hauser as a soldier. And Andrew B. Clark as a security guard. And our synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. With all the chaos going on in a correctional facility, a remote-controlled truck wanders through the building unnoticed. It burns its way through one of the cells where a childlike man named nick is playing with his toys. A ditzy, oversized woman named Daisy contacts him from the outside. Daisy?
3: Yeah, hello, Daisy. I have it right here in my little hand. Well, actually, both hands, a little. It's not like I have a big hand and a little hand. It's. Anyway, I have it right here.
4: Oh, Nick, to think after all these months,
3: oh, it gives me
4: tingles right up my spine.
3: The first name is Nick. The second name's Knack. It's Nick Knickknack. Oh, you scold me. I'm making a sad face now, Nick Nick. You're making a sad face! I've been in jail for a year! I'm having a static face on, okay? Give me three minutes to cut through the bars, okay? Okay, okay.
4: Now, I'm to do exactly what you told
3: me to do. Drive up to the fence and keep the engine running. Don't turn off the engine, whatever you do, okay? Fine. My sweet little lamb.
1: (laughs) Nick uses noise-making toys to cover his escape. Once he's over the fence, his girlfriend Daisy crushes him with excitement. They'll supposedly get married, and Nick plans to become a rich man, but he plans to kidnap Superboy first. At the dorms, Andy is telling Clark about a scheme to rip off students using 8-track players. Andy then shows Clark the front-page story on Nick Nack's escape. Nick promised to get revenge on Superboy for putting him away. At Nick's hideout, he and Daisy engage in a lengthy child banter. Some kind of weird ticking sound.
3: causing it it's like a kind of a, a weird ticking thing yeah this should do it I'll be through in a minute Daisy and I must say that you followed my plans perfectly oh
4: you're the one who's the toy genius Knickknack. you came up with this plan
3: You know, now that you put it that way, you're probably right. I am a genius. I'm the master of toys.
4: Oh, and I will look pretty when you've finished with Superboy, won't I? I'm going to look very good in all the beautiful, shiny things you're going to buy for me.
3: Yes, you'll be a ravishing beauty. We'll have diamonds, pearls, all the money we want. And the best part about it is, it'll all be because of the person who put me in prison. Superboy. Oh, and then we can get married, right? Um, I have a lot of work to do around here still.
4: Oh, but you said we'd get married in your letters before you got out of jail.
3: And we will get married, uh, my my rose. Isn't that Primrose? Yes, Primrose, Primrose.
4: And you did mean the part about how I remind you of Madonna in all those rock videos.
3: Daisy, I can honestly say that you are ten times the woman Madonna
4: is. (laughs) 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 Oh, Knickknack, tell me again how we're going to get our revenge on Superboy. And tell me in that mean, sinister voice way.
3: Okay. We're going to pulverize him. We're going to make bitch meat out of him. And you know how? With reverse magnetic polarity. With it, I drain the strength from Superboy. And I transfer it to... My robotic super suit. No one can stop me. Be the strongest man alive!
1: While their kitty chit chat continues, Nick is printing out fake money to purchase a meteor alloy. They go to Eckworth Industries Research Lab and, with the flash of some cash, coax a security guard into helping him inside. The next day, on the Schuster campus, Nick and Daisy are in their van. Andy is trying to feed Lana his A Track scheme while they and Clark walk the grounds. Using one of his devices, Nick sends a PA over the campus directed at Superboy. Superboy, hi, it's Nicknack. Can you meet
3: me alone on Fremont Beach, around the corner front like that sort of lemonade stand not far from there? I want to talk to you about turning myself in. Bye. Hmm. Wow,
2: how about that? Nicknack giving himself up, huh? I'm not so sure about that, Andy. Nicknack always seems to have some kind of scheme up his sleeve. Do you think you'll be able to get in touch with Superboy? I think so. i better go see if i can contact him. I'm not gonna be able to make it to our uh, library study day.
4: No problem. Sorry.
2: It, it, it's okay, Clark. I don't do libraries. You should try sometime. I hear they even have books and everything. Well, actually. I was thinking you and I might hit this cozy little pizza place I know. Get some beers, maybe a couple slices. We could, we could study there.
1: I'll catch you in class. Oh. <sighs> she doesn't know what she's missing. Nick and Daisy relax on the bench until Superboy arrives. Superboy tells Nick to come with him, but instead of going, he sprays Superboy. When the mist clears, Superboy is covered in straps made from the meteor alloy. Nick completes the ensemble by putting a meteor alloy bucket over his head. Superboy is unable to break the straps, nor burn through the bucket. They take him back to Nick's hideout, where he uses a machine to drain Superboy's powers. While Superboy is unconscious, Nick Nack gets into his robotic suit, and then slowly stomps away out of his hideout to go and rob the gold reserve bank. Meanwhile, Superboy uses Daisy's naivete and innocence to convince her to release him.
4: I made us some fresh lemonade! You know, Knick-Knack is really not a bad guy.
1: He
2: hurt me.
4: Oh, he didn't mean it. He just needed your power to charge up his super suit.
2: Look at me, Daisy. How weak I am. And if Nick isn't careful, he's gonna hurt himself with that machine.
4: A Knick-Knack's the master of toys.
2: But he isn't used to having superpowers as I am.
4: You mean my little Knick-Knack could be a hurt little Knick-Knack? I'm afraid so. Well, then I better untie you right away so that you can save him. He's at the gold reserve. You do save people, don't you?
1: Sure I do. (laughs) Weekend, he goes to the reserve bank to stop Knickknack. Nick smacks Superboy around with his robot until Superboy breaks the battery cables, regaining his powers back from the robot. Nick's robot falls into a pile of rubble, and Superboy hands it back to the police
3: everything, Superboy! Look what you did to the super suit! What are you
2: gonna learn, Nick? Toys are for kids.
3: Oh. Just one thing, Superboy. How did you escape? Your friend Daisy.
0: She really
2: cares about you, although I don't know why. Oh. And she'll be waiting for you at the police headquarters when they bring you in. Oh,
3: You may have got me this time, Superboy, but I'll get you yet if it's the last thing I do!
1: Okay, I have to give a small disclaimer here. I am in no way, shape, form, or fashion a fan of Gilbert Gottfried. His voice annoys me, and it makes me want to stick knives into my ears and pull my eardrum straight out. So, it's easy to see that an episode that highlights him and that god-awful, irritating voice is just not going to be up my alley. And to the episode's credit, they maximized their use of Gilbert Gottfried. He is in just about every scene of this episode. I think we only see Andy and Lana in two scenes, probably just because they're contracted to get Stacey Heideck and and Island Mitchell Smith into the episode. So let's uh, get into this, shall we? Apparently, uh, this episode starts at the uh, Brock Correctional Facility. Apparently, uh Brock is not just an insane asylum. If you recall from Super Menace, the Brock Hospital for the Criminally Insane was also where Metalla was being kept. So it's also a prison with a psych ward. And we have this remote control car here driving through the past the hospital section of the facility. And uh the car has a neat little laser on top of it and it comes into a room full of toys. And we're alerted immediately to the fact that Knick-Knack is in his cell as we get that annoying high-pitched voice that can only come out of the mouth of Gilbert Gottfried. And boy does he look young in this. I don't know. I mean, I know this episode is thirty years old, but I guess I just wasn't prepared for Gilbert Gottfried to look so young. So he's a toy maker and he's using a toy robot to talk to Daisy in the car. She is um she's a plus size woman and she seems to, as the synopsis says, have a childlike quality to her. Very naive, very taken with Knick-Knack, and also very shallow. I mean, she's into all the material things. She she wants the pretty diamonds and things like that, and I don't know where these two found each other, but they are annoying to behold for an entire episode. Let's just say that. And, like I said, our name heres Nick is Knick-Knack. He's been j- in jail for a year, and Daisy is facilitating his escape. He leaves a blow-up dummy in his place. I mean... He's got a jail cell full of toys here. I kind of wonder what kind of jail would allow him to have all these toys. Unless uh, some therapist or something determined he needed to have them for the sake of his sanity. I don't know. And the interchange between Knickknack and Daisy is just making my head hurt. And I had serious doubts within the first three minutes of this episode whether or not I was going to make it through the entire 22 minutes. I mean, the sequence is not funny. It's cringeworthy at best. And you would think uh, escaping from jail would be something he'd want to do quietly, but no matter what character he's playing, Gilbert Godfrey cannot do anything quietly. And he cuts the bars with a poorly animated laser and kind of just falls right out onto the grass, and oh my god. This, what happens next here, is right out of Batman 66. He puts on these spring shoes and vaults over the fence. It reminds me of that early... Batman episode from 1966. Uh, it was like the third or fourth episode. The uh, Joker's Wild, maybe? I'm probably getting the episode name wrong. Cause it's been a while, but when Joker's on the pitcher's mound and he and a spring comes out and during the softball game and launches him over the fence. And
4: the devil! He sprung
2: himself!
1: That's kind of how I felt here. And between Nicknack and Daisy, I'm struggling. I mean, this sequence is five minutes long. I mean, of course it's giving... Gilbert Gottfried time to be Gilbert Gottfried. And like I said, I've never been a fan. I know his screeching voice is part of his shtick, but it annoys the hell out of me. So now we're going to find out uh, that this moron is going to kidnap Superboy. Also, back in the dorm, remember we got to pay Island Mitchell Smith this episode because he's in the main cast. He's uh, pushing some kind of scam with 8-track tapes and uh, Clark uh, asks the obvious question. Don't you need an 8 track player to play 8 track tapes? Which is something Andy Scam has taken into account. Although, uh, to be totally honest, uh, there is an 8 track player in my house and a couple of 8 track tapes. My father, in his great uh, array of I don't throw anything out, still has them. Uh, I think upstairs in the living room by a stereo that hasn't been touched since we moved into this house 28 years ago. So, the scam is that people need 8 track tapes to play the free tape that he's given them. Fine. I would just honestly toss the free tape and uh, see if you can find it on, uh, you know, cassette tape, which was the main way you bought purchased music uh, back in 1990. I mean, maybe at this point, cassette tape was kind of on its way out. CDs were starting to become the norm kind of around now. Well, that could be just a few years later. I think I was still pretty much getting cassette tapes at this time. Started getting CDs sometime in high school. And now, come to think of it, I probably haven't bought a CD since high school. Now that all my music is digital. So, apparently, uh, Nick Knack uh, and Superboy have tangled before. Thank God we didn't have to see that. The two episodes that we're going to get of Gilbert Gottfried in this season are enough. And his goal is to get revenge on Superboy. And uh, now Nick is uh, playing with a train. He's almost like a version of the Toy Man. I wonder if perhaps the uh, show didn't have the rights to uh, Winslow shot. And they had to create this character for those of you who remember when I talked about that comic magazine article that talked about the Ruby Spears Superman show, Marv Wolfman couldn't use Brainiac because his rights were tied up elsewhere. And that's how they got the Cybron strikes episode. Cybron was basically just a renamed Brainiac. So now Daisy is like, who, like I said, is plus size is very concerned with uh, looking superficially beautiful in the sense that she's only worried about jewelry and clothes and things like that. And between Nick's screeching and Daisy's whining. And Daisy, you know, has a very childlike personality. I mean, I think we're supposed to find this endearing. I mean, I think maybe somebody wants us to. I just don't. It makes me want to put, throw myself in front of a train. A fast-moving one. So Nick is going to uh, tell us the plan because we need to make the most out of uh, Gilbert Godfrey's voice. And he's going to drain Superboy's strengths with reverse magnetic... Polarity and channel Superboy's powers into a robotic suit. Yay! I am just, I am 10 minutes into this episode at this point, and it's been all God-freed, except for the minute we spent with Clark and Andy uh, hatching the A track scheme. Half of Daisy's dialogue is our fawning over Nick knack and talking about how great everything is going to be. And of course, we can't go a minute without Nick screeching. So now we move on to the next phase of their plan, where they're dressed as uh, prohibitionary gangsters. Al Capone has nothing to fear from these two. Now they're after a meteor, and uh, he bribes this overworked canine security guard with a bunch of what appears to be fake money. I wonder at which point this uh, uninterested security guard realized that, but we don't find out. And then we get to a hot dog stand the next day, which I'm presuming is the next day. And I thought we were getting a break from Nick and Daisy because we got an establishing shot of the Schuster campus. Well, we're not getting a break from Nick and Daisy. The one thing this episode does not offer you is a break from Nick and Daisy. And apparently they're watching the college and here is Andy trying to run his scam on Lana and she's not buying it. And rightly so. And now we have a floating red balloon offering Nick next challenge. I would have rather it's been the first time he tangled with Nick neck, but it isn't and nothing I can do about that. So we have to kind of just stow that complaint and move on. And uh, Clark has to contact Superboy, and Lana is a, uh, Forgiving of him for having to break their study date. I don't really think Lana gives a damn about this. their study date in the library, but Clark seems really earnest, like he really wanted to go on this study date. And by now, she's used to Clark having to disappear to contact Superboy. How she's not doing the math here, I don't know, but it is what it is. All right, so here is Superboy, who is getting quickly annoyed with Knick-Knack, and this is where you get you really see the difference between the Gerard Christopher and the John Haynes Newton Superboy. In season, the season one version of the character would probably just be annoyed and rolling his eyes. John James Newton was a very good, irritated Superboy. Now, basically, Superboy is just yelling at Nick not tolerating his crap. And I kind of like that better. But apparently, these straps that are tied up uh, with Superboy are for meteors and he can't break out. Six minutes to go in the episode. The window to my right that I can't see out of is looking very good for me to dive out of right now. And, uh, oh, look, Nick is going to tell us his plan again. And and now we get we get to see, we get to hear some equipment activating the background. Whatever's happening cannot possibly be louder than Nick-Nack. And there's a uh, yellow beam emerges from this machine. Like uh, like yellow uh, animations, like animated donuts. <laughs> and Gerard uh, Christopher is doing some kind of bouncing around as these yellow animations suck his powers away. So eventually, Godfrey turns off the machine, and lo and behold, he has at least... Some of Superboy's powers. And once again, we're going to get more of uh, Daisy fawning over Superboy. Is it wrong of me to want to see Nick pound Daisy with his robotic arms? Probably is. I probably shouldn't admit to these things where people can hear me, but you know, it is what it is. If you've watched this episode, you kind of know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm sure people are going to be upset with me because everybody loves Gilbert Gottfried as Mr. Mixy S. Pedalick in Superman the Animated Series. And... I'll discuss that when I get to it. Maybe I'll feel differently about Big Six Piddalick than I do this. So, as if this episode couldn't get any more ridiculous, Nick robot walks afoot about every two weeks. So, can you imagine how slow this thing has to move? But, eventually, after I take a long nap, the robot gets to uh, the army's base. And, uh, basically, all these soldiers come out, start shooting Nick robot, and it doesn't do any good. Back at the warehouse, uh, Daisy is going to bring Superboy some lemonade. And she takes off the helmet, and, uh... At first, I thought maybe Nick Nack's machine didn't work as well as he thought it did, but it did. It didn't drain Superboy completely. Maybe that wasn't the intention. But Superboy is uh, awake enough to speak, and, uh... He kind of manipulates Daisy a little bit by telling her that... that By tricking her to let him go by convincing her that Nick Nack could get hurt. So, she unties Superboy, and off he goes to fight the robot. Now, when Superboy arrives at the, uh... Army base, or whatever it is, or wherever it is, uh, Nick Nack was going. It's clear that Superboy is somewhat weakened by what Nick did. Uh, the, he, uh, stumbled as he landed and he told one, the commanding officer here that he felt a little bit weak. So, what Nick Nack did to him had did have some effect. It's, so um, the robot allegedly has all of Superboy's powers, but Nick o- is only using, uh, brute strength. And Superboy basically recharges himself and shuts the robot down by pulling the plugs out and, We get some electrical-looking animations, basically look like yellow lightning. Along the wires, electrocute Superboy, and he's all-powerful again, and the suit is destroyed. And guess what? As the episode ends, Nick knack is yelling. He's going to get Superboy if it's the last thing he does. Well, the last thing he's going to do in this series is going to be in episode 24 of this season. This is episode 21, so that's going to be the back half of next week's episode. I'll bet you can't wait to hear me talk about that. I have not watched that episode. It could be better than this one. I guess I'll, I haven't seen it, so I guess I'll have to wait and see. Now, I'm sure you can tell from my commentary, this is not going to go down as one of my favorite episodes. It might be the worst episode of season two thus far for me, and the only thing worse than having to suffer through this is the knowledge that Knickknack and Daisy will return in episode 24. And I'm done, at least with this segment. Let's take another podcast promo break, and I'll come back with a ghost story with The Haunting of Andy McAllister. Hang around, folks.
0: Afternoon, everybody. Ryan! How's that baby treating you, Mr. Daly? Like Thanos snapping his fingers at my bank account. In that case, how about a beer on the house? Sure, gotta give my mouth something to do between podcasts. Say, Ryan, I don't get how you have so much time for podcasting. Doesn't your wife want you spending time with the baby? Would you? (laughs) Truth is, I think she's a little worried about how much time I'm spending with the kid, ever since his first words were Dagobah system. (laughs) Now she wants me to go out and do something mature, something productive, and most of all, something lucrative that can support the family.
3: So you're going to...
0: Podcast about cheers, yeah. (laughs) That kid's not going to start college for 18 years. I got time. Cheers, Cast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Network.
1: All right, welcome back, folks. Gonna finish this episode off with The Haunting of Andy McAllister. Original broadcast date was April 21st, 1990. This episode also was directed by David Nutter and written by Mike Carlin and Andy Helfer. Guest cast included Fred Ornstein as Uncle Nate, Tom Schuster as the Six-Gun Outlaw, Danny Kamen as the Bullet Hole Outlaw, Sandy Hulsman as the Woman Outlaw, well, that's easy enough, C. Ram McPherson as the Hangman Outlaw, and Ricardo Pappy Rogers as the TUSA's Outlaw. And our synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. The gang is driving through the countryside on their way to the mansion of Andy's Uncle Nathan. Andy and Lana begin to argue when they think they've become lost.
2: All right, Cindy. So Wednesday night at eight? All right, I'll bring the clay. Cindy, hang up the phone, get the map out, and tell me where we are right now. Okay. bye-bye. Jeez. Ah. 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 Now, that wouldn't happen if we could put up the top. The top was up when we started. And when you were driving, we got lost three times. At least this way, we're lost but happy. I got it, I I got it, I see. Okay, we got a ways to go, it's Route 81. That's Route 18, Andy. Uh Huh? Whoops, map's upside down. Hold on! That's it, Andy, get in the back. Clark, you're co-pilot now. I'm not sitting in the back, this is my car and my uncle who's letting us stay at his mansion for free. Without me, you guys would be spending another boring weekend on campus. If we even find the place, Maybe we should backtrack. We're not backtracking, Poindexter. What we need is a good driver. Of course I could do better. It's my car. Oh, I can't believe you, Andy. You can't believe me. I can't believe you. Let me drive. Get out and walk. Get out and walk. That's it. I am not driving anymore. Listen, Lana. Just because you have a lousy sense of direction, don't blame it on us. Me? I have a lousy sense. Well, I hate this stupid car. Stupid car? This is a Cadillac. It's a great car. It's an American car. Oh, well, fine. Uh, Guys, we're here. Clark, we're arguing. What?
1: Go around the corner. Hmm. They look around inside the mansion.
2: So, what do you think? How do you like it? This is quite a house. It looks like it's at least 150 years old. No, it is. It was built before the Civil War by my Uncle Nathan's dad, my great-grandfather, Horatio McAllister. He was a marshal in the Old West. I never knew your family
4: had that kind of money.
2: Well, we used to, back when Horatio founded the McAllister Firearms Company. He made quite a killing. I knew you were going to say that. Oh, come on, ease up. It's a little bit of McAllister family humor. Well, what happened to all the money? Well, that's a long story. Come on, I'll show you. It's a weird thing about Uncle Nate. When his father died and passed on the place, he got kind of paranoid. He thought the ghosts of all the bad guys that Ratio killed were going to come back and get him. Ghosts? Fuck move. And then he got weird. <laughs> He spent the last 50 years and the McAllister family fortune building these strange additions to the house. No one knows why. Check this out.
1: Clark is separated from the others and looks around between the walls of the mansion. Meanwhile, in one of the rooms, Andy sees an old rifle mounted on the wall. It isn't loaded, but when he pulls the trigger, it fires and shatters a mirror that covers the brick wall. The wall then falls apart, exposing a bright light. The opening begins to suck Andy and Lana into the light as Clark sees them. As he runs to change the Superboy, Andy is sucked through the opening. A moment later, a ghost appears in his place. He comes over and distracts Lana, and she too is sucked into the opening, just as Superboy crashes into the room. He flies in after her, and another man and woman appear in their place. We've been waiting for you. It's about time somebody fired that dang carbine. I ain't living in that ghostly world. Sure feels good to be out of there, but I still got me a hankering for revenge.
2: Don't forget our pals back in the void. Remember the deal we made?
1: Shoot, no! Pretty soon, little lady,
0: all of the folks killed by Marshal McAllister will be
1: free, replaced by real live folks. Mm-hmm. And starting with the son of the Marshal would put us in here in the first place. Oh, Nate McAllister himself. In the eerie ghost world, the gang goes into a saloon to find a way out. It's filled with ghosts and all their eyes around them after they enter. Meanwhile, the three ghosts had escaped, bust into Uncle Nathan's hospital room, and kidnap him. Back in the ghost saloon, an old man hits on Lana.
2: Well, looky here, we finally got us a real live lady. They won't have nothing to do with us. you <laughs> <laughs> Hey, that's enough. Pretty fancy Dutch from Marshall, feller. I never saw such a big bang.
0: <laughs> See, you ain't never died by the gun before, has you? Who's the girl with you?
2: I'm um, listening. Listen, there seems to be a misunderstanding. We took a wrong turn, and if you just want to show us the right door. You ain't going
1: nowhere. My powers seem to be weakened. He ends up in an old-fashioned bar fight, as Andy and Lana watch. After Superboy takes care of them, they leave and go back to the wall, from which they entered the Ghost World. They see the three ghost outlaws trying to force Uncle Nathan through the wall. One of them fires the rifle, opening the door to the dimension, and throws Nathan in, being replaced by another ghost after he enters. Before the wall closes, Superboy puts his arm through his arm has enough strength in this dimension to break the wall back down. He holds the doors open to let his friends through as the outlaws begin shooting at him to stop. One by one, each outlaw disappears. One remains that tries to shoot Andy, but Superboy, the remaining body, enters this dimension. The outlaw shoots Andy as he disappears, but it doesn't harm him. But he faints anyhow. The wall seals itself, and while Uncle Nathan and Lana tend to Andy, Superboy makes his exit. When Andy comes to, there's a knocking from inside the walls.
0: Andy!
4: Wake
3: up. <laughs> yep, his boys are McAllister. Through and through. <laughs>
2: yeah, I guess you'll be all right. More ghosts! No, uh, oh, Annie, no, no. I don't think that's a ghost. <laughs> I think I know exactly what that is. I think I saw a ghost. Did Superboy get here yet? Yes, Clark, Superboy got here. And as usual, you missed everything.
1: All right, so this episode is uh, a fun little ghost story. Uh, one of the holes uh, right away uh, that kind of comes out of this episode is Horatio McAllister was a lawman from the Old West. Well, what did he do? Retire to Florida? Because Florida is hundreds of miles away, maybe even a thousand miles from the Old West. What we would consider the Old West tends to kind of be like the Midwest and West Points west of that. So we start off with. Uh, this view of cars driving by on the road, and this is the first indication that our characters are going somewhere. Lana is driving uh, a blue convertible, Andy is riding shotgun, and Clark is in the back, kind of, you know, sitting back there with his arms kind of across the back seat, doing his best to look cool, and succeeding moderately, and they're lost, and they're arguing, which is what you do when you're lost. You argue, because that is what's going to help you find your way. She's done driving, and then they stop, and then Clark finds a sign that said McAllister. So apparently, uh, they made it to the where they're going, but neither one of them are interested. They're more interested in uh keeping the argument open, which was very much more important to Andy. And Andy had a map open, you know, a big one of those big uh, road maps that I've always sucked at folding. You don't see those things nowadays. I actually tried to only get spiral-bound atlases because I absolutely hated folding maps. I am glad I don't have to do that anymore. My handy-dandy GPS on my phone gets me where I need to go when I'm driving into unknown areas. Now, I wonder if this is the first time Andy has been here. Clark lets out a golly when we get a look at the uh, two-story mansion. I thought it would be at least uh, more ornate and foreboding from the outside. It's not. So now we're getting a bit of a history lesson of the McAllister family. They'd gotten their money through a firearms company. And apparently uh, there are some ghost stories involved with this mansion as it's kind of haunted by the ghosts of the people uh, Horatio McAllister has killed through his life as a lawman. I like that Clark acted as though he was scared. He always has to keep up his character and not uh, tip anyone off that he might not be who he says he is. It looks as though no one's been in this house for about 50 years, and uh, now there's a crooked door. Apparently, uh, this whole floor is crooked, and uh, the episode spends probably about 30 seconds too long on this gag about the crooked door as Clark just kind of stands there, craning his neck to look at the door. So apparently a construction was unfinished as uh, somebody opens up a door and uh, nearly falls out the side of the house. I think it was Andy. And that kind of reminds me of my last job when I worked upstate at a newspaper. Our, not the actual uh, printing of the paper, that was in a separate building, but the pre-press where the film that created the paper was made. The paper was buying this piece of printing equipment. But it was so large that they couldn't get it up the stairs. So they actually had to build a door on the second floor of this building. So if you look at the building from the parking lot, there was a random door about two stories up that if somebody opened it from the inside, they'd basically fall right out of the building and onto the hood of somebody's car. Oh, the jokes we made about that because, let's face it, at night a lot of the guys in that department were pretty drunk. At least that's what we thought. So anyway, back to the episode. This house also has trap doors and secret passageways. So, it's a bit spooky. Clark uh, finds one on a bookshelf and kind of disappears behind it. You know, I always kind of wonder if he does these things on purpose or if, you know, getting stuck behind the wall of the house is something that happens accidentally to him. I mean, honestly, accidentally getting sucked into the wall could be a great way to disappear to change it to Superboy. So, Andy finds a mirror and there's a painting of his great-grandfather, Marshall Horatio McAllister. You know, it looks a bit like Wyatt Earp to me. And at this point, they notice Clark is gone, and they just kind of stand there in a exasperated fashion as Clark just walks around inside the walls. And he's the nerdy act has dropped now that he's in this uh, secret passageway kind of between the walls, between the rooms. No need to act scared now. And Alana is worried and about Clark, and he jokes that he'll be found in a year or two. And Alana did not appreciate that joke. Because I think she's starting to get a little creeped out by this old house. So now we're getting a look at the uh, McAllister carbine. At first, I thought this might be Chekhov's gun. It would come into play later. Well, actually, it's going to come into play right now. Because Andy checks it. It has no bullets in it. And then he fires and breaks the mirror. Well, it's kind of a ghostly bullet, I guess. We'll call it that. All kinds of supernatural forces that work here. And it reveals a brick wall. And a bright light is emerging from outside of it. And now the wind is blowing and trying to... The bricks are blown inward and uh, into the, now a light is shining from whatever's beyond this brick wall, and it's trying to suck them into what I can only assume is a ghost world. Reminds me a lot of uh, Poltergeist, especially the way uh, they're kind of holding onto the couch here to keep from being sucked into the ghost world. Kind of reminds me of exactly of that bedroom uh, scene in Poltergeist. So, apparently Clark shows up at the last minute emerging from a bookcase, but uh, Lana tells him to go get some help. And he says, yeah, I'll contact Superboy. And he kind of just disappears inside the wall. So first, uh, Andy uh, disappears. And we get this zombie-like cowboy who shows up, distracts Lana, and she flies off into the light. Superboy emerges and uh, flies in after them. Now, what I don't understand is why Clark even emerged from the wall. As soon as he saw with his X-ray vision that something was going on in that room, he could have gone back to the original bookshelf and and come in as Superboy. And then he could have just pretended to be stuck on the wall the entire time. At the ending scene, he comes out from inside the wall, but Lana doesn't mention that he reemerged for two seconds to see what was going on. They play it ex- like he doesn't didn't know what happened. So, now we get two more of uh the ghost of Horatio's victim. Like, So, the rules are being established that th- as three go in, three come out. So, the uh, first order of this business is to uh shoot the hell out of this painting of Marshall Horatio. Because I guess maybe uh, this episode needed a minute to pad out. So now Lana and Andy are trapped in a very western uh, ghost world, and we're getting all the uh, trappings of the Old West, including a saloon and a boot Hill cemetery, which is where the losers of the shootouts tend to uh, find themselves. First and foremost, the ghosts are after Andy's uncle Nate because he owns the house and presumably boarded up the ghost world. <laughs> So now we're treated to the uh, zombie saloon here, and this is an awful lot of extras, and they're all made up like ghosts, probably cost the show a pretty penny to make them all up. While this has happened, this is in the cut with uh, the ghost emerging on the hospital room of Andy's uncle, Nate McAllister. He's uh, got his arm in a sling, so something must have happened to him. He got injured in some way. The show does not tell us what happened, yet the uh, makeup artists and costume designers go through the trouble of putting his arm in a sling. Why? He's uh, recognized the ghosts, and uh, apparently he took precautions to keep them from escaping, so that's why they want their revenge on him. Now, I don't know if these guys are exactly ghosts. They can interact with the physical world in a way that ghosts are usually betrayed as not able to. Maybe they're just undead, I guess. I don't know. So, now we're back in the zombie saloon, and we're going to get a zombie bar fight. As Superboy discovers his... Uh, Powers are weakened in the ghost world. You know, supernatural effects. And uh, there's a toothless ghost hit on Lana. Superboy didn't like it. So now we've got a good old-fashioned barroom brouhaha. You can't have an old west saloon without a bar fight. And it's meant to be comical. And is. It doesn't take anything away from the fight itself. This is just good fun here. I had more fun watching this bar fight than I had watching any of the Knickknack episode. So uh, the lead ghost here, who kind of looks like Mel Gibson from Maverick, which I believe came after this, so take that for what it's worth, announced that Superboy is too tough for them, and they allow Superboy and the Lana to leave the saloon. But you're in a saloon in a ghost world. Where do you go? You go back to uh, the dimensional portal, and the ghost's plan is to replace the people in the ghost world with the living. It has to be a one-to-one transfer. Like I said, one goes in, one comes out. But Superboy seems to be a step ahead of them, saying they won't be able to accomplish their goal if he does what he thinks they'll do, so let's see. The ghost just open the gateway and throw Uncle Nate through. And uh, I, th- I was wondering maybe if it's just Superboy, Lana, and Andy, and Nate could just go back the way they came, right through the portal. I guess not. I guess they can't re- uh, reverse the polarity of the particle flows through the g- gate or whatever the hell Egon said in Ghostbusters. So when Uncle Nate comes through, the head ghost from the bar shows up in the uh, in the house, and he's in the real world. So. Superboy tries to go through the glass. He just kind of dives through, and, oh, he almost makes it. He uh, The glass grows back, and Superboy's arms get stuck. So all you're seeing in the real world is Superboy's arms sticking out of a mirror. But Superboy, with his arms in the real world, his forearms have superpowers now. The rest of him that's stuck in the ghost world doesn't. But it seems that his forearms are now all-powerful again because they're in the real world. So one of the zombies comes up with a gun. With his rifle, Superboy grabs the rifle, catches the bullet, and the backfire on the gun and forces the door to the, to the ghost world open. And uh, while in the doorway, Superboy is invulnerable to ghost guns. So Andy goes back to Earth first, and as the living go back through, the dead go home. Superboy is faster than a speeding ghost bullet, and everyone is safe. There is an order to which the ghost returned home. The ghost that shot Andy was the fourth one into the real world. So at first, I thought maybe the ghost would correspond to the person who came through. But the ghost that shoots Andy would have disappeared when Uncle Nate came through with him. That wasn't the case. I think it had something to do with the order in which the ghost came to the world. Because the first ghost that we saw was the first one to leave. But one of the ghosts tried to shoot Andy as he uh, fades away. Nothing happens, but Andy faints nonetheless, everyone is home in the real world, and Superboy leaves. At this point, Uncle Nate closes the closet, and uh, now Clark shows up, out of the bookcase from behind the wall, pretending to have been stuck in the wall the whole time, pretending to be afraid. I like the way Clark came out looking terrified. Well done. I, you know, I like that episode. It wasn't the best, and probably not particularly memorable, I don't think, but it was a lot of fun. And that's really all I ask. We end on a stronger note than the Knickknack episode did, and... I'm glad to see this episode focused on our main cast when the other was all Gilbert Gottfried. So, next time will be my penultimate episode covering Season 2, and that will be Revenge from the Deep, and we're going to brave the return of Knickknack in The Secrets of Superboy. Now, until then, feedback's always welcome, Screen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, just put Man of Screen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Mana Screencast. Until next time, folks, we're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Dumo. All opinions expressed on this show are those of my GMO and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyrighted by or original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks internet radio network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Emails mails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Manscreen Podcast.